Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and on tonight's show, we asked my regular experts, Julia Lee of Berman Invest and Adam Dawes of Shoreham Partners to pick out the tech stocks they think are good value going forward. And then a few weeks ago, tech stocks were dumped, but they then saw a comeback recently. So let's find out the reasons why and do they have potential going forward. And then they will give us the value stocks that should benefit from the reopening of the Aussie economy when vaccinations go full bore. They're not at the moment, so there could be some buying opportunities. And then we hear from the CEO of Self-Wealth, Rob Edgley, whose share price has gone from 10 cents to 57 cents since the market crashed. So what's so attractive about this company? And finally, Paul Rickard of The Switzer Report highlights the income stocks he likes at the moment. That's the show, so let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Well, in recent times, we've seen tech stocks come off the boil and then they became popular again. So I've got Julia Lee from Vermin Invest to talk about what's going on with tech stocks and which ones she likes going forward, as well as some of the stocks that might benefit from the reopening when vaccinations in Australia actually become full bore. <laughs> Julia, good to see you. Great to be here, Pete. All right, so let's talk about this tech turnaround because a few weeks ago, Everyone was dumping tech stocks, and I must admit I was I was buying tech stocks, but uh, I, I tend to be contrarian when these sort of things happen. Julia, you are more a momentum player, mm-hmm. uh, so what are you seeing about the momentum for tech stocks at the moment? Well, it's bouncing around yeah. a lot. So I think for investors in growth overall, not just technology, which is seen as a key growth area, mm. it is about what's happening in bond yields at the moment. So if you think about it, um, how we value a company is its future returns mm. or future cash flows, but we discount them back with a risk-free rate, and that's based off bond yields. But the long-term risk-free rate has been going down, basically, which means valuations have been falling. So as bond yields um, move around, that's caused a lot of volatility. For most (coughs) investors, though, I guess it's just a question of where's the best place to put your money over the next 12 months. And so there's this tug of war going on Mm. behind um, the reopening trade, so things like airlines, um, travel type of companies, versus your traditional growth areas, which are still offering great growth. Mm. It's just a question of which area is going to give me the best returns over the next 12 months. And I think that the answer is probably the reopening trade, Mm. which is why you've seen some money leaving those growth areas into those cyclical more value names. Not going to be forever, but the next 12 months. Yeah, and and that's what always happens in the market, isn't it? Like I know there were times when you didn't like the banks and then all of a sudden you started to like the banks because it's just you're trying to pick where the market's going to go. I think in it, most things in life, a lot is around the timing. Mm. Um, there's always a good time for almost every stock in terms of the market. And the reason I like the banks is because interest rates are, are looking um, like they're, they're moving up. The bond yields are moving up. Mm. And banks find it much easier to increase profitability when interest rates are going up. And interest rates going up are actually a positive sign. It's a sign that the economy is doing well. I mean, the unemployment rate here in Australia at just 5.8%, forecasts to go down to 5.7% when we get the March numbers. It's absolutely incredible how quickly we've bounced back from COVID-19. And also we've got the strong economic growth outlook and that must be good for people turning up the banks to borrow money, to buy houses, to do, expand their business. So in a sense, banks should be a recipient 
of the benefits of growth. Pete, you're stealing my thunder. Oh, I'm I so sorry. <laughs> In terms of cyclicals, you're absolutely right. Banks are going to do well, so overweight the banks. Building material companies, which are exposed to the housing What's sector. What's your favourite one there in building materials? I do like James Hardy because US renovations, like over here, are going very well. But, you know, they've got $2.25 trillion in terms of infrastructure. So that's great news mm. for um, BHP Billiton, James Hardy, as well as Blue Scope Steel. So they're probably my top three in terms of exposure to infrastructure and building. Mm. And then in terms of banks, I like CBA, Bendigo and Adelaide as well, as people mm. are rely more on less capital city growth, more mm. regional growth, although that's diverting back a little bit. And in terms of tech stocks, I guess a quasi-tech stock, I like Aristocrat Leisure. Mm. Amazingly, about 40% of its revenues actually come from the digital or the digital social gaming mm. side, which has been a huge winner during COVID-19. Mm. But casinos in the US have only really started that runway of reopening and yep. growth. So the next phase of earnings, uh, the earnings cycle for Aristocrat Leisure is not only going to come from the digital side, which is still seeing growth, mm but also the land-based uh, revenues, which are around about 60%, yeah. starting to kick in. And I think that's an, an upgrade earnings cycle yeah. there. And all those casinos are linked to ho uh, um, holidaying and travel and all that sort of stuff as well. And that's going to be And that's the key, because if you have a look at holiday expectations around the globe, it's very different country to country. Mm. In China, for example, there's not going to be a lot of international travel out of China, but domestic travel is doing incredibly well. Yep. The US travels held up very well through COVID-19. There's still a lot of domestic travel mm. um, and international travel is expected to bounce back quite quickly. But over in the UK, it's a different story where both are expected to stay quite muted. Okay. Is there a tech stock that you, know, you, you think is going to get better and better over time, though it might have you know, some problems in the short term because tech stocks aren't... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, popular at the moment. I still like EML payments. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so do I. It's had some good news recently. Yeah, they've had some great news. So we've got that back in the portfolio for a while now. Yeah. And um, I guess in terms of fintech, um, open banking and um, banking services, I think, is the next phase. So in terms of banking services for the new tech companies, I like EML payments because mm. they'll be able to offer that. Yeah. And I like Afterpay because... Um, there's a potential to roll out banking products to its mm. customer base, which mm. I think could be the next level of growth for a stock like Afterpay, which has mm. a hugely loyal and millennial customer base, which I guess um, some of the banks struggles, struggle with. For example, Westpac doesn't have a huge younger uh, segment in terms of its customer base. Yeah, so, so there's those, a, those Afterpay could be a bridge that banks go across to I think you can be careful with uh, price though. After pay at around about 100 bucks was beautiful. It's mm. already back at 123. Mm. And what about a company like Tyro? Because it's part tech, part payments, and also got a link to Bendigo. Is it heading in the right direction after that very nasty <laughs> Viceroy report? Oh, I was really surprised with Tyro, that outage, because um, I think... Um, the reason why I like Tyro is because it's a disruptor. You know, mm. the, the old slow banks, it's uh, coming in to shake things up a little bit and it's new, it's more nimble. But that outage, it was quite slow. So hopefully it's learned its lessons, mm. it's back on track. Um, and I think we'll just have to wait and see because mm. I think when you are a fintech disrupting old technology, you really do need to be better than that 
old technology. Okay. So look, a bit of a hiccup there, but once again, that's a reopening trade as retail yeah. comes back online. It's, it's linked to the hospitality sector, isn't it? Yeah, posts, uh, yeah. wave pass. Yeah. And then we've we also got something where when you're sitting at the table, you can actually order at the table as well, which uh, I forget the name of it, but they actually bought that as well. Now, before you go, I, I never ever get you to be political or anything like that. And it's not about uh -oh. no, it's not about Scott, <laughs> no, Scott Morrison or anything like that. Okay. But there was a report today that ASIC... You're, you're running? <laughs> no, no, not yet. No. Um, ASIC uh, wants to do something about these, particularly the hedge funds, short seller reports that come from overseas that, that really can't be legally punished if they're wrong. And they want companies to respond really quickly when they're out. But I know in the case of Tyro, the Viceroy report came out 11 o'clock on a Friday. Mm. Obviously, the CEO couldn't respond instantly, but by Tuesday he did. And he pointed out there were 10 errors, he thought, in that report. <clears throat> Would you like it if media outlets also at least gave CEOs a chance to respond to the report before they put it in the market and let people lose money in the short term until eventually the, the full story gets out there? Sure. I think when it comes to short selling, we have to separate our short selling from the marketing side of things. Mm. I think there's a role for short positions in terms yeah. of the market, in terms of price discovery, because that's what the market's all about, yeah. trying to discover what a company is worth, whether mm. you're negative or positive, and that's what makes a market. But I think in terms of, um, I guess, activist short selling, where you're trying to um, enlist a whole group behind you, I think there needs to be a few rules in place. I mean, we have plenty of rules when it comes to, to finance on what we're allowed to yeah. do and guidelines. And I think if those same type of guidelines were adhered to, it'd be a fairer market, especially for retail investors who yeah. can often be the last to know you come home from work if you haven't checked the market mm. and a stock's sort of plummeted by around about 30%. Yeah, and they might have sold out and, and not really been across the fact that they often rebound because the, the people often have made their money and they could be buyers again at a lower, lower price, couldn't they? Yeah, so I guess market sensitive news, yeah. um, it, would be, it would be good to have some rules around that. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, that's Julia Lee from Berman Invest. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange traded managed fund WCMQ or a listed investment company WQG. Well, joining me now is Adam Dawes from Shore & Partners. Adam, how are you? Yes, really well, thanks, Peter. Yourself? Very good. Let's start off with an area that I wanted you to look at, namely tech stocks. And we saw a few weeks ago they were out of favour and they were dumped, but now they're back in favour. Um, I'm not going to ask you what's going on with the screwy <laughs> stock market, but yeah, I will. What's going on with the screwy stock market? Well, we all work in cycles, don't we? So potentially there's a cycle happening and potentially those value stocks that we were talking about two weeks ago, even sort of a month ago, have now started to sort of, that value has now started to dissipate a little bit. And I think people are looking at some of these tech stocks and potentially saying, well, yes, COVID's over, but they're still making revenue. 
and they've been sold off with the rest of the market and been sold off on this value tech rotation, potentially it's now starting to time to get, get back into those stocks. So I think that we might answer your question. Yeah, and so it's a good example of sometimes being uh, a contrarian in your investment style. You know, mm. you know, be a seller when everyone wants to be a buyer and be a buyer when everyone wants to be a seller. It yeah. can work out as long as you're dealing with good quality companies with great potential. Well, that's right. And Appen is a classic example of how the, the, the you know the stock market's really punished it. And it's still on the chart, still doesn't look like a buy, but it's a fantastic business. And I think if you start buying this thing down around this sort of $16 mark, okay. potentially you will do well going forward, but it might just take a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. time and being patient can be a, a really good quality to have in this mm -hmm. market playing game. All right, so let's start off with the tech stocks you do like, apart from Appen. Yeah, so Appen is an, an interesting one. I, I looked, I've, I've picked a couple of smaller stocks for us to have a bit of a chat about. One of them is OpenPay. Now, it's a buy now, pay later stock. OPY is the stock code. But the reason why I like this one is that it's moved out of the, the vertical of retail. This is actually now moved into something which is now, or, or it's veterinaries and hospitals. And so this is their sort of theme that they're moving forward. They, they just signed a very large deal with a, uh, a very large UK and veterinary uh, a service software company that basically does all the bills for a lot of vets around uh, around the US and, and the UK. So I think this one's a really good one for getting out of that retail vertical. It's a small little one uh, and it's, you know, it's just something where I sort of see some value in going forward. The other one I like, and this one actually looks really good on the charts, is Family Zone. FZO is the stock code. Family Zone is a really great little business as far as it's the one where it sits in between so your kids can't watch YouTube or your kids, while they're supposed to be doing homework, can't get onto these sites when you're at home. And so it really protects the family in the zone against a lot of predators from the internet and things like that. This one's starting to look really good on the charts. They came out with their third quarterly. The quarterly looks really, really good. I think there's some really good value here. Um, and look, we've just sort of, our, our price target's 70 cents and it's sort of around 56 today. So I think it's a good little buy on the tech side of things. It doesn't seem to have had um, massive marketing, but I guess it, it is marketing where mothers and fathers are actually, younger mother and fathers are doing their reading and probably coming up online. Yeah, and so they've also changed their model a little bit. They're now actually moving into the schools and that's what they're doing in the US. They're actually going to the schools, signing the school up for the family zone product mm -hmm. and then the students then naturally will follow. So there's a real opportunity here for the US market for them to get into side of that and get inside of that and then actually start to get some real market share. There's not many companies that are doing this and these guys do it very, very well. So it's a good Aussie invention, a good Aussie company. Okay, so that's the tech space. Let's go into the, the value stocks that we think will benefit from the reopening trade, which has been sort of affected by the slow vaccination rollout concerns that are in the economy right now. Yeah. So, so have you got any, any that you think, well, because of this vaccination rollout, there's a little, little bit more value there? Well, I do think so. And that value gap is definitely closing with these couple of stocks that I'm going to talk about because the Aussie retail stocks that where I'm going to talk about, and it's in the retail space, they returned around 8.2% in March compared to the broader market, which is about 6.4%. 
So they are starting to outpace the market, but I still feel that there is some growth going forward. And I think there's some really good buys there with JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman. We saw some data from um, the ABS the other day saying that their furniture sales as well as electronic sales had accelerated by around about 27%. So that's a fantastic sort of year-on-year -year growth that's going forward. Now, if you think about it, no one's traveling overseas. No one, I mean, yes, there's holidays coming here in New South Wales, but I think that furniture, those electronics are gonna be fantastic. So when they, when potentially people start to be able to go overseas, that sort of reopening of international borders, we might see a normalization of some of these numbers, but just at the moment, everyone's got a lot of money just to burn because they're not spending it on holidays. And so electronics and furniture with the housing boom is a very good buy at the moment. So Harvey Norman, JP, Hi-Fi are my two picks in that space. Yeah, and I guess they're also being helped by the historically low interest rates as well. Agree, absolutely, yeah, hugely. Uh, um, uh, yeah, as well as just, I think everyone has just been sitting on the couch, <laughs> sitting on that couch for uh, two years and thinking, okay, it's time to get a new one. Um, and, you know, inventory is pretty good. Nick Scarley is the other one that does very, very well in this space. They're, they're a very well-run business as well. So, yeah, I like that thematic and I think that's got more time to play out. Okay. Before you go, um, companies like Webjet and Corporate Travel and Flight Centre have all done very well. Mm. As they come off the boil a little bit because of the, you know, the, the, the question marks over when our international borders will be open, do they become a buying opportunity for someone who wants to be in there for a year or two? Yeah, so yes and no. Yes, being that they are very, very good companies, but something like a Webjet and something like a Flight Centre, we really need to be careful of dilution. Flight Centre, when they were at the bottom of the pandemic and they were about $9, they raised their entire market cap again to try and then uh, keep the business afloat, stabilise the business, those kinds of things. What's happened now that a flight centre should trade at about $40, it's now trading at about $20. Because of the dilution, that's now $40 from the old world. So I think I'd be cautious uh, on, on flight centre around those $20 levels. If it pulls back to 18, I think there's some room to move. But one of the stocks that I do like is event hospitality. Now, this is a little bit further from that reopening side, from the travel side, yeah. but event hospitality has got all the movie theatres and people are starting to come back to the movie theatres. We haven't seen any blockbuster movies in the last two weeks or even last month or so, so I think there's going to be a push for a lot of those blockbuster movies to come out. Plus, also, they own Threadbow Ski Resort as well. Um, so, you know, we saw some snow on the mountains yesterday. So, mm. you know, that season is starting to pick up. And I think people will be very keen to travel inside, potentially inside New South Wales, yep. Victoria also, but to travel in their own states and, and uh, do something like this. So EVT is the stock code, event hospitality. I think this is a nice one. It's got down to six, it's 12, and it's been as high as 16. So I think there's some room to move uh, on that one. Be a little bit careful. That dividend's been a bit stretched for late. So, you know, you need to be a little bit careful. But it's an interesting reopening theme for the market. Adam Dawes, thanks for joining us. As always, take care. 
Join Paul Rickard, Hamish Douglas and myself and a range of other financial experts as we share with you key strategies to help you grow your portfolio at our 2021 Virtual Investor Strategy event taking place on the 27th and the 28th of April. Please join us. We are currently offering free registration to this event as well as a bonus seven-day free trial to the Switzerland Report for anyone that registers. So get in quick and secure your spot via the link in the description below. See you there. Well, joining us now is the Managing Director of Self Wealth, Rob Edgeley. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. Nice to meet you. Yeah, same here, mate. Um, for people who don't know what Self Wealth does, tell us about it. Yeah, sure. Um, Self Wealth started in 2012 as really a, um, a peer-to-peer investment community and somewhat of a, a data mining fintech company where it, um, it had a relationship with uh, BGL. BGL is the largest uh, provider of compliance software um, uh, for SMSF portfolios um, in Australia. And we had an arrangement with BGL where their data from what was, those, what was in all those portfolios came through to SelfWealth. That data was mined and you were able, if you were a, a member of SelfWealth's investment community, you got access to that anonymous data about which portfolios had which stocks and who were the best portfolio performing portfolios. So that grew then um, into um, late 2016 when we when SelfWealth launched their their online broking platform, and that allowed at that time and still to this day, um, it, it's a significantly uh, a more affordable way to do your business. It was the first um, flat fee online broker with no commissions and no hidden bank fees or anything like that. So $9.50 per trade, $100 trade, $1,000 trade, a million dollar trade, $9.50 is the brokerage. Right. And, and that's uh, that set us in good stead for the last um, three years. Okay, so what is the most important profit center? Because you do have a, a diverse range of revenues, don't you? Yes, we do. Um, and we've just increased the, the, those revenue streams by opening up our, for our clients to trade on the US market as well. So um, the, by far and away, the biggest is our Australian dollar domestic $9.50 brokerage fee. Um, and that um, we've just released to this, the ASX this morning, our quarterly update. And, and we saw that we did over 500,000 trades um, in, the Mar in the March quarter which um, it's, it's, it just seems uh, like yesterday we were doing 50,000 in a quarter. Now we're doing 500,000 in a quarter. And uh, the amount of clients have also grown. We now have um, about 86,000 active traders. Um, so, so they're contributing to their turnover and the trade that trade revenue is our largest revenue source. Um, we also earn a net interest margin on the client funds on our platform. Uh, at the end of the March quarter, that was $452 million of client funds. And we earn a, um, we earn a spread um, that's paid to us by ANZ, um, a spread over the RBA's cash rate for that net interest margin. We also have a subscription model. So that community data, Peter, that I spoke about a bit earlier, if you, if you want to see the ins and outs, if you want to follow a certain trader who's been kicking goals for the last five years, um, you, you pay your $20 a month and you get access to all of all of those, um, that community data. You get some for the, uh, just any anyone on the platform gets some access, but to get the, all the access, you, you can pay 
that uh, additional $20 a month. And then um, as of December last year, we introduced our US trading. So we have a $9.50 US um, for in brokerage. Uh, and we also have foreign exchange revenue. So as, as clients, um, our clients transfer their Australian dollars from their ANZ bank account into their US dollar wallet, ready to do their trades in the US, um, we, we, have a, we take a, a margin or a, a spread on that um, FX rate that's provided to us by our, our, our international partners. Okay, now, just in case people say, well, hang on, I've never seen these guys advertise on TV and I, I, I don't hear them on radio. Um, is, is there another brand that's under the, the self-wealth hub or is, is self-wealth the actual brand that goes to market to attract those sorts of investors and traders? It is, it is, Peter. And um, Self-Wealth, uh, they did that um, upon listing in 2017, um, a large part of the listing proceeds was, was spent on that above the line marketing, um, you know, uh, football fields, football clubs, uh, radio, um, you know, it was, uh, it was quite prolific at that time. Uh, and it did create a, a, a good brand at that time. But for the last two years, our marketing dollars have been focused on um, digital marketing. And there is a, there's been a hugely, um, the addressable market for our product has grown massively. Um, you know, our, you, know you, you, and, you and I, um, our generation, we used interest rate savings products to buy, to, to save for, for a deposit on a house. Mm. We bought the house. We then and we then went spent the next ten years trying to get the mortgage under control, and then we went into investment markets with additional income. That's changed completely now. Um, if you're a young millennial in Australia now, you have to start the investing straight away. The interest rate savings products they don't do it for you. If you want to grow your wealth over time, it's you don't get that opportunity to do that now through interest rate products. So, and and the, the whole digitalization of markets has also uh, fallen into, into our, our laps really, because uh, our clients, they're online all day anyway. Um, they have access to so much more information. Look what we're doing now, we're doing something on, online. So uh, it's, it's really helped and uh, allowed us to grow so quickly. Uh, and it's been, our cost of acquisition is, is incredibly low. We spent $400,000 on marketing, digital marketing in the last quarter and it delivered us you know eighteen and a half thousand new clients. Rob, in September 2019 your share price was 27. Then March 2020 when everyone was suffering the coronavirus it went to 10 cents but it's ripped up to 59 cents ever since. What has been the major reason do you think for the powering of that share price from 10 to 59? Yeah Peter I think it's um it's apart just... from your brilliant leadership apart apart <laughs> from that well, um, we have obviously um, the, the sector we're in, the online broking sector has grown enormously. Um, as I said, the, the structural changes that we've seen, ultra low global interest rates, digitalization of markets, they've, they've all pushed people towards needing to have an online broking account. So our industry has done very well. And then within that industry, we are taking market share from the banks. And that's been a big point um, to answer your question, you know, I think people can see that the 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 on the bank backed online broking houses have a bit still over seventy percent market share, and um, they're using systems. They're on platforms that are thirty years old, um, and they are 
um, certainly not uh, making any attempt to reduce their pricing. Um, so in that way, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in an industry that's being disrupted and that disruption is going to continue. And the market, the challenger brands such as yourself, Wells, um, have got a, a, an amazing opportunity to, to even grow further. And I think that's what some um, investors have uh, cottoned on to. It's not, a, it's not just a, a COVID-19 thing. You know, we, the, the numbers we announced today, the growth numbers were uh, higher growth rates than what we saw last March and June quarter in the, in, at the start of the COVID pandemic. So um, put to bed any sort of issues about this was a sugar hit 12 months ago. Um, we've, we've, we've done much better in the last three months than we did then. What's going to take the share price high? I know as a um, MD who, won, who not too distant future will be chairman, it's not your job to actually determine the share price, but it is your, your job to make sure that the calibre of the company goes from level to level to level, which of course then should be mirrored by rising share prices. So what are the, the big things out there this company is going to be embracing in the next 12 yes, months sure. or so? Sure, um, good question, Peter, Ed, and something that we've been absolutely focused on, especially in the last three or four months. So um, from an organisational structure point of view, that's key, and we've just announced the, um, two weeks ago the appointment of a new CEO, and I'm going to transition in, from this role into the um, chair of the company. So there'll be um, myself and Kath Whitaker, the new CEO, as a team going forward, chairman CEO. Um, we've had a, we've put on a new head of, of um, product earlier this year. We're, we're um, in the market for a new CFO at the moment. In the next few weeks, that'll be finalised. Um, so we've, we've, we've made a dish, committed additional uh, investment into our IT. All of those things are being put in place to take us to the next, next phase, phase of growth. So from a structural point of view, we've made those decisions and we're committed to them. From a, um, uh, from a revenue point of view, and that also always does help the uh, share price, if you can keep um, uh, the revenue, we, we increased our revenue 30% quarter on quarter um, this quarter and, and in, in the hundreds of percents year on year. Um, and to do that, continue to do that, we need to add additional revenue streams as we go forward again. And they will come. For example, um, you know, we've just added the US uh, trading. Mm. Um, we, we look forward in the next 12 months to adding things like access to um, IPOs on the platform, access to options trading on the platform. And there's a whole multitude of things that our clients want. Um, and, and to be honest, if we're going to continue to um, take market share off the big players. Um, we need to make sure that we have that breadth of functionality on the platform and breadth of products so that they can do everything that they were doing on an ab trade or a comsec. They can do at self wealth at a much uh, more affordable price and in a in a, um, a much better with a much better user experience. Well, good luck with it, mate. Look forward to seeing the, the progress of the company. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you very much too. Thank you. Looking at tech stocks and growth stocks, but I thought it was time we had a look at income stocks and Paul Rickard has an income portfolio which he features in the Switzer Report. I thought I'd get uh, a, a chance to talk to him about that income uh, portfolio. Paul? Thanks, Peter. So, at the moment, we, we know that income portfolios were challenged by the coronavirus because lots of companies decided to cut their dividend. 
Are those dividends now heading in the right direction? Yeah, certainly heading in the right direction. In fact, income portfolios are probably going to have a very good year in 2021 for two reasons. One, as you say, dividends are back up. In fact, I think that was really the highlight of the February reporting season, just how quickly the dividends came back. A lot yeah. of companies paying dividends that weren't expected uh, and others certainly on the high side. And that's not just the banks. You all knew about the banks, but the surprises, I guess, were things like some of the industrial companies. We saw some very big dividends from the mining companies, the major resource mm. companies. Now, that was expected, but... Uh, you know, they're, they're generating such enormous amount of cash out of iron ore at the moment and yeah. uh, become some of the turbocharging dividends. So I think that's the first reason why dividend and income stocks are back in vogue. The second reason, Peter, is that the, the sectors that they're traditionally sort of overweight in, things like um, financials mm. and some of the consumer-facing stocks, they're doing well. Mm. The, the, the laggards this year in the market have been healthcare and information technology. Have they, but have they been and income stocks? Well, the they're not really income no, stocks. There's hardly a, uh, an IT company that pays a dividend. There's mm. a couple. Uh, and in the healthcare area, most of our large healthcare companies like the CSLs, the Cochleas, they typically pay a little dividend, but it's pretty small yeah. and they're very keen to reinvest. And uh, because they're sort of, you know, they're global specialists in their field, CSL and blood plasma, Cochlear in, of course, with the Bionic Ear, mm. Uh, you know, ResMed with, uh, of course, uh, the sleep apnea product. Because they're such specialists in their market, they typically follow the US model and uh, they're low growth. dividend payers. So, for growth. so yeah. dividend income portfolios should do well in, in 2021 and have, and have out, been outperforming. Um, retailers, are they paying better dividends because their companies are yeah. doing very well? Yeah, and so that's another, another, I said that's part of the consumer facing mm. stocks, Peter, the ones you, you know, companies like West Farmers, Woolworths, uh, and even Coles, mm. JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, mm. uh, you know, they've all had a really good bumper 12 months, year. a mm. bumper year, much better than anyone thought. Um, so much so, lots of debate about JobKeeper or not for those mm. who've got it. Yeah. Uh, but they've been big dividend payers mm. because, again, they typically aren't that capital intensive. They're not as though they have new stores, but in, a, in an environment where everyone's moving online, they're very careful about opening new stores. So mm. if, if they're generating the cash flow simply because of their sales going up, um, they've got really no other choice but to either give dividends or buy their shares back. And of course, that, uh, that helps all their shareholders. Paul, if you had to pinpoint some of the really reliable stocks in your income portfolio. How, how many do you have in it? Look, I have about 20, 20 stocks, Peter. Mm. Uh, it biases towards you know the financial sectors, as you'd expect, mm. uh, some industrials, some very consumer-facing stocks, a little bit underweight, in, uh, as I said, in information technology and healthcare. Mm. Some of the more growth sectors, you're, you're underweight in, but around 20 stocks. And, mm. and you don't want, my aim is to get a, a nice dividend yield mm which is uh, take advantage as much franking as you can get. But I also want the portfolio to sort of basically track the market. I don't want to be short change if the yeah. market takes off. So I, it's not as though I don't have any healthcare stocks or don't have any information technology stocks, but it's underweight there. Yeah, so you, you want to try and get some growth out of those, but you're primarily seeking income. Yeah, so my target this year is, is a yield of just on 4%. Now, that's uh, it's down from where it was two or three years ago, but a lot of- what's, what's the best you've done? I want, a couple of years ago, when banks were paying much higher dividends and uh, you know, dividends we were in a slightly different environment, more like about 4.5% was a, was, a, was a pretty good uh, dividend. Mm. You were 45 to 5%, now about 4%. Mm. I think it'll do better than that because the first 
as I said, the February reporting season surprised on the upside. Yeah. So I think I'll end up better than 4%. But you're not talking, we're not taking enormous risk here to get no. super, supercharged yields. Yeah. So I think coming back to your question was, you know, I, I like stocks that are reliable. Um, that I, and I, I have a mixture of stocks, but some of the ones I like just for income, I also have a, a view they need to be fairly capital stable. Yeah. You don't want major shocks on the downside. Uh, so they're pretty boring stocks mm. in some cases. So here's. I won't say it's like you, Paul, because you're exciting. No, I, you're I'm, an excitement I'm, machine I'm, I'm when it comes to stocks. I'm an excitement machine, as, as you can turn <laughs> out. But look, look, here's a couple to, uh, yeah. to have a wet look at. Wet the appetite. At. Yeah, wet the appetite. Um, the first one is Medibank. Now, I've, I've, always, I've been a huge fan of Medibank because it's actually been growing market share. Yeah. Right? And yep. now, it's had a really tight trading range since it, since it listed. Occasionally, they, people got crazy because some people thought it was really a health stock. It's actually a boring old insurance company, health yeah. insurance. Yeah. It's got a lot of headwinds, as we know, with health insurance, but it's gaining market share. Uh, so it's really turned itself around. And I think somewhere, you know, between about two seventy-five and $3, it's in the buy zone. And uh, that's providing a nice fully frank dividend a little bit over 4%, but I don't see a lot of downside risk. You're so not it's 4% plus franking? Plus franking, yeah. 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 So it could come yeah. to around 5 or 6%. 6%. Yeah. Okay. Look, another boring stock is uh, is APA. That's mm. the, the gas pipeline company. Mm. Um, it's had a you know pretty well trading between about $9 and $11, mm. and uh, that's paying about 5, 5%. That's unfranked. Uh, very boring business in terms of most of its business is regulated. That's the distribution of gas through its gas network. Mm. You know, no. there's nothing more boring than that. That's pretty boring. Right? It's got a little debt, but uh, it, it's it's almost a monopoly provider. Yeah. So I like that. Uh, one a bit riskier, I think, is is a company like Horizon. Mm. Now that's in the uh, transport of coal business, transport of coal and other bulk commodities. Mm. Uh, so it had a little, but most of it, the coal it carries is metallurgical coal, so it's not thermal coal. So it's not as, as dangerous for it, the it, environment. It's, well, it's, it's not so much the danger for the environment, but obviously if, if demand slows, yeah. you know, if, if Australian exporters can't sell their coal, then they're not going to send as yeah. much to port, and so that's where the risk is. So I guess you've got a, you could say you. So thermal is for steel making, and and the, and the other coal. Sorry, sorry. Is metallurgical is for steel making. Yeah, and thermal coal. is for and energy. Thermal yeah. for energy. That's the one the world's really worried about. Off, if you're yeah. worried about uh, your metallurgical coal, there's no ready solution yet to make steel that without yeah. metallurgical coal. There are a couple of alternatives, but if we're worried about that, we're going to have a real problem, right? Yeah. So um, most of the coal it, it transport is that. That's a bit higher risk simply because it gets knocked around in that sort of coal barrier, mm. but um, that's yielding over 6%. Mm. So, I mean, they're the type of stocks. Um, I like. I mean, I think also some of your retailers. Mm. I, mean, I think nothing better than good old boring old West Farmers with, mm. Uh, mm. you know, it's um, it's 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 a business with Bunnings. Boring old Bunnings just goes gangbusters. It's quite exciting uh, Saturday morning for me. Paul yeah, Bunnings. and uh, you know, it's, it's really coming. Maybe back I'm boring form. like you. And even even Woolworths, I think, is, oh. is reasonable. So there are a lot of stocks out there. You can throw in some miners for a bit more uh, fun. Mm. But uh, look, um, that's what I look. So mm. I, I like to get basically. I want to get four percent. I want to get, you know, I expect the portfolio to hold up well in the down market. Mm. Perhaps not as do as well in an up market, but not get too far left. Okay. Too far left so if someone took out a free trial of the Swiss report, they would actually get to see what's in your portfolio. Well, they would. We'd hope that they'd get a free trial, Peter, they'd become a yeah. subscriber. Subscriber. But, uh, well, the quality is so good, they'd be mad if they didn't. It's the type of value that uh, our readers uh, really enjoy. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been doing these portfolios for a number of years. Yeah. And, uh, and, you, and you don't get very many insulting letters either. I can't remember uh, too many insulting letters, but you know, there's always a, there's always a fan mail out there, both positive and negative, and our readers tell us so. 
Yeah, and we, we learn from yeah. it. We learn from it. And also, you should throw in that you know we have a, a Switzer dividend growth fund, which is listed on the stock market. It's now over its issue price, two fifty-two. How low did it get, Paul? It's about a dollar sixty. Yeah, something. good to uh, look in the madness of the twentieth of March the crash, last year yeah. when uh, a lot of stocks got down. Eight, a a, a um, afterpay traded eight dollars and ninety cents yeah. ever so briefly. That's the twentieth yeah. of March last year. So uh, we've only just passed the one year anniversary. Yeah. I think the uh, Swiss got down to about a dollar seventy, but yeah. uh, has it up. rebounded yeah. nicely? And the income it pays should be definitely on the rise if Paul's suggestions are right. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on Thursday. Make sure you turn up for the Thursday show.